Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Hello, and welcome to Reimagining Motion, a podcast from the High Volume Transport Applied Research Program, which is undertaking research into the complex and interrelated issues of sustainable transport across Africa and South Asia. I'm Holger Dalkmann, your host for today's session. Welcome. In our first series, we're exploring transit-oriented development, or TOD. Known planning TOD is a type of development that can enable residents to live closer to jobs and services and reduce the time and environmental burden of transport and also boost economic growth. It has become a leading trend for urban planning in recent decades, particularly in high-income countries. In this series, we're talking to TOD experts from our high-volume transport HVT research program and explore the nature of TOD, whether it can be beneficial to low-income countries, how it might be implemented, but also where the barriers are. Each episode draws on the latest HVT research, case studies, newly developed frameworks offering insights and practical ideas for TOD approach. As we have discussed, TOD development promotes a symbiotic relationship between dense, compact urban form and public transport use. Today, we're focusing on the development of TOD and how it's applied in different parts of the world, particularly in lower middle income countries. How is TOD different when applied in cities in low income countries and how effective is it in this context? To help us further explore these issues, I was speaking with Jacob Mason. Jacob is the Director of Research and Impact at the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, ITDP. He's based in Washington, D.C. And ITDP is a well-known NGO in the world of sustainable mobility with offices in many places around the world. In their latest research for HVT, ITDP had developed a guidance toolkit of inclusive TOD as part of local area planning in Eastern Africa, which we also will discuss also today. So welcome, Jacob. How are you doing? Hi, Holger. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Great. So let's let's get started. As as ITDP has worked, and you particularly have worked also on TOD for, for a long time. So maybe you should start with also to give us your definition and your understanding also of, of TOD. Yeah, well, I think you did a really, a really good job defining this to start. But yeah, as you mentioned, TOD brings people together with the, the places where they want to be, it helps connect people to activities, buildings, public space, uh, centered around walking, cycling, and connecting them with excellent uh, public transport. And we usually add inclusive to TOD to ensure that TOD serves a variety of people of all income uh, income classes and abilities, and then and the diversity of demographic backgrounds. So, just a, a slight addition to what you had said. Great. So, so ITDP works particularly in low and middle income countries, and you have seen and worked also on those different implementations, but also different ideas and concepts. So what would you say is, is, is different between or so like high income countries like also the US where you live and or so places or so let's say it was in Africa? Yeah. So, I mean, the concept of TOD came from the US uh, in the 80s and 90s. And 
you know, is really thought of as a means of changing how development was happening in the U.S. and then in Europe. Um, and it's only more recently that it's it's been applied in, in lower and middle income countries as the concept of TOD. But traditional development of, of building building places near people and mixing uses and having places be walkable is as old as cities. So a lot of traditional development, when combined with public transport, becomes TOD um, or is TOD kind of by default when it's combined with with actual public transport. In a lot of traditional development, especially in lower income countries, you know, one of the challenges that you don't have is as much the prevalence of cars and parking and space for parking. Um, in the U.S., there's a big challenge where so many jurisdictions require extensive parking everywhere. And in, in lower and middle income countries, it's often either not required or not followed, not implemented. And so you don't have the, the problem of you know, intense, intense parking everywhere. Another challenge in, the, in a wealthier countries is often zoning and the development regulations uh, limit the amount of density that's there. And in, in less formal areas and in lower income countries, middle income countries, there's more of an acceptance of higher levels of density, which support more walking, which support more public transport kind of without, uh, without having to have a government intervention or having a change to, to create that level of density. But you have different, different challenges. There's less, there can be less government support for things like networks of sidewalks, footpaths. There's often, or sometimes there's less government planning around street networks that are connected and form a, a full network that allows you to get effectively from, from one point to another without having to hit a lot of dead ends. Um, and in, in less formal development, you often have the challenge of roads that, that dead end or roads that become private or gated. Um, and that can be a real challenge for making an area walkable. And in our research, we found that a, a big challenge that's certainly uh, less of an issue in wealthy areas is um, just basic services. So I mentioned... I mentioned sidewalks or footpaths, but also things like sewage, um, water supply, trash collection, uh, especially in informal settlements can be a big issue. And if you don't have proper sanitation, proper trash collection, it can really make everything else function less effectively. Uh, we heard stories of streets being built with sewers, but they didn't have trash collection. And so a lot of trash went into the streets and then clogged up those sewer drains for storm sewers. And then the streets flooded every time it rained, making it very hard to walk around and get to the places you need to go effectively um, because the, the streets were full of water and, and trash, which is, is really challenging for the people that live there and, and really reduce quality of life and access. These are great examples when you talk about, in particular, the challenges in, in informal settlements, highlighting the, the need not just to look into transport and development, but also all the different services around and the related infrastructure. So, so what you're saying is, in fact, so TOD can be adapted also, even also to informal settlements? Yes, absolutely. And the principles of making places connecting development and collecting housing and jobs and the services that people need within short walking and cycling and connecting them to a good transit between development areas 
isn't specific or exclusive to higher income countries. But of course, the, the context that they're in can be a little bit different. And so what we've learned is that we just need to be more mindful as we think about these ideas in low and middle income countries. We need to be more mindful of the context that they're in, the capacities that government have to implement them. And that was really one of the, the goals of our research was to identify the key aspects of TOD that were most uh, essential but weren't happening in uh, low and middle income countries and especially in informal settlements so that governments could focus and be really targeted in their efforts to use their capacity most effectively to create walkable communities that are most inclusive. Um, and so we really found there were, there were some key principles that, uh, and key areas that governments would want to focus on. Um, and the most, uh, the most basic and perhaps the most important um, was just basic infrastructure and services. So water, electricity, sanitation, sewers, drainage uh, were really just critical to enabling everything else to function effectively, as I mentioned. And, you know, those things can be challenging and expensive, but are, are well worth the investment from, from government to creating places that, that people want to be and people can move around effectively. And another aspect of that was uh, the street grid and um, the street development, um, making sure that you have these connections in public rights of way so that there are streets that, that connect through and among uh, developments among neighborhoods and city districts so that you can walk from one place to another in the most efficient way possible. And those things often don't happen as well organically where we, where we studied. And then maybe the last thing on the like highest level of interventions was just uh, operating and maintaining uh, infrastructure and investment uh, within these neighborhoods. So if you're if you're building sidewalks, if you're building sewers, if you're building new streets, making sure that there's money to maintain those, those investments so that they don't fall apart, deteriorate, and then no longer be useful for the, the people that they're trying to serve. Fantastic. So let's move first to some ex experiences on the ground. And you see, you have case studies uh, in your latest research program. So what is the experience for cities in developing countries to really use TOD and how they could benefit from that? But also, what have you seen in terms of challenges? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that, that cities can benefit by building cities around walking, cycling, and public transport. They can move people and get them where they need to go much more efficiently than by building cities around driving. So that means less infrastructure that they need to build, fewer streets that they need to build, fewer sewers that they would need to build, and less time spent uh, sitting in traffic, less pollution. So there's a lot of, a lot of ways that building around uh, walking, cycling, and public transport helps cities meet the goals that they, that they want. But there are certainly challenges to making it happen. And some of this involves capacity, so do you have the ability as a city to create the regulations and enforce the regulations that you need in order to develop a city that is built around walking, cycling, and public transport in cities that don't have really high quality walking and cycling and public transport? Those can seem like undesirable modes. And so there can be a push for people to want 
to move towards a more comfortable mode like driving where the walking and cycling is is not valued and supported. And so there can be challenges politically in terms of showing that those modes can be really desirable and can be high quality modes when supported well. So that's probably the biggest challenge in creating TOD in, in more cities is just showing them and changing the mindset of the decision makers towards wanting to support more walking, cycling and public transport and, and TOD in their cities. So give us so, so probably so some good examples where things wheelers were implemented in a, in, a, in a good way. Maybe one of the best examples now is we're now working with the government in Ethiopia. They've developed a, a national policy for um, non-motorized transport for walking, cycling and public transport. And they understood the value of of walking and cycling as as ways of moving people around the city. And so they are now committing to investing in in building footpaths and building bicycle paths that connect people to where they need to go in a in a high quality way. And so they understand the value, they're putting their money into it, they're developing the plans to to make that a reality, which really demonstrates how that can be really effective. So You talked about uh, the examples of Ethiopia and uh, so the, 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 the national policy there and, and the commitment from, from the government. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, like what role uh, does policy need to play in TOD and how can this be supported? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And that was one of the focuses of our research. But we found that one of the things that was most challenging in creating TOD was these networks of, of high-quality walking and cycling facilities. We found that in formal settlements, there were a lot of elements of TOD, as measured by the TOD standard, that were happening. They were happening but kind of by themselves without a lot of government intervention, such as a lot of mixture of uses, a lot of density, a lot of visual interaction with the, between the buildings and the streets. But what wasn't happening was high-quality sidewalks and footpaths Those were not being built. Um, networks of, of streets that were well-connected were less likely to happen, and cycleways were almost never happening. And so government can really focus on building those things, planning for walking and cycling facilities, making sure they're built, making sure they're maintained, making sure they're well-connected within communities to, to get people to where they're going by walking and cycling really effectively. Great. So, you, so you mentioned earlier the how important it is to change the mindset of decision makers, and obviously, ITDP as a, an, an NGO has a, has a lot of experiences in that. So, tell us a little bit more about this role of NGOs here to implement inclusive TOD, and particular from your experience at ITDP. So, how 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 you do that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest roles for NGOs is to show that different, different, a different future is possible and a, a different pattern of mobility and, and a different type of city is possible. And so we do that through pilot projects. We do that through demonstrations of, of different kinds of, of streets, some street closures. We'll do pop-up bicycle lanes. We'll do open street events where we close an entire avenue for a day or a car-free day, pop-up facilities. 
And then once we show and inspire leaders that different, you know, different models of cities and urban development are possible, then we can go ahead and start working on, on specific projects to demonstrate that, that those are real and then embed those ideas into broader policy, such as uh, you know, citywide planning in the case of, of many cities that are growing. So a lot of cities have plans for, for public transport or even rapid transit across their city and then incorporating TOD into those plans so that it moves from an idea to a whole plan of how we're going to move forward uh, as a city. So let's move us on to another topic. In your introduction of TOD, you highlighted the importance of talking about equity, talking about inclusiveness when it comes also to TOD. Can you extend a little bit more on, on, on that? So what, what, does, what does it mean also making TOD inclusive? Yeah, that's a really important point. Whenever you make something more desirable um, and you invest in it, it can become more expensive and that can make an area harder to afford if you have a low income. And so the challenge is how do we improve services? How do we improve access for a neighborhood, for a community, for a city without displacing the people who are there and, and harming them economically? And we saw in our research a number of strategies and approaches to doing that. So one strategy we saw was um, cities that formalized their land tenure so that residents have the right to stay and improve their own homes and neighborhoods and benefit from the improvements that are going on around them. So as streets become more accessible, as footpaths are built, as infrastructure is built, the people that live there can then benefit from those and not be displaced by an owner kicking them off their land. This is often challenging. And so there are temporary measures to, to protect tenants during this process. Some of those are temporary eviction bans that prevent people from being evicted in the short term. And then other time, other things we saw were long-term leases that could be issued to residents or even communities to protect them from from displacement as the communities uh, receive investment. There were other things that can be uh, approached or other, other approaches that could be used, such as investing in subsidized housing so that residents pay less of their income for housing costs. So the government defers some of the, the housing costs for residents. It, it'll depend on the ability of the government to, to do that, but it is certainly an option that could be explored. Great. Um, so we're almost coming to the end of, of this podcast. So give us an outlook in the, in, the, in the next five years where you see this standard and your work and other people work as it can lead to and what can we expect also in, let's say, by 2030 when it also comes to the application of TOD and sustainable mobility. Internally at ITDP, we're looking to revise the TOD standard to be more inclusive and include the perspective of low and middle income countries and the lessons we learned from this HVT research. And that will probably happen in the next few years. It takes some time to do that. But uh, more broadly, we're looking to see a lot more examples of development of TOD in a lot more contexts as this idea spreads to new geographies. There are a number of cities where we're working with governments at larger scale planning around TOD 
and helping them to think through what that actually looks like and what specific policies and regulations are needed to, to make it a reality. Um, and I'm sure there will be a lot of lessons as we move forward in terms of what works and what doesn't and what's needed to make sure things work. And uh, it's exciting to, to see that moving forward um, and governments getting behind, getting behind that idea. A lot of challenges remain, but, but we're, we're now working on how to do it, not whether we should do it. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like to find out more about the work of our guest and any of the resources, please check out the links in the description. I always encourage you to listen to the other episodes in the series where we explore a variety of other topics related to transit-oriented development. Also, you can leave us a rating, hopefully a good one, and a review. It really helps others find out about our podcast. If you would like to learn more about the work of the high-volume transport program, you can check out the website transport links.com or follow us on Twitter at transport underscore links or on LinkedIn at High Volume Transport Applied Research Program. The High Volume Transport Applied Research Program, HVT, is an 18 million pound investment by the UK Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office, FCDO. The program's new body of research aims to help inform the decisions of policymakers in low-income countries and make road and rail transport greener, safer, more accessible and affordable. My name is Holger Dogman and you have been listening to Reimagining Motion. Thank you. Stay and travel safe wherever you are. Goodbye and auf Wiedersehen.